いつもお世話になっております。私はホテルでドリームのシアウトリーです。Good evening, Miss Hasumi. I was sorry to hear about your transportation mix-up. I have booked you a return ticket. Don't worry, it does not go through Kisaragi Station. This has been your travel reminder. Please let me know if you have any questions. The Weekly Report Tamamoza Rouge, Viscountess and owner of Hotel Daydream and Reverie Estates. Groundskeeping Report While talking with the local nymphs, one of the groundskeepers got the bright idea to invite some of them out for ambrosia. After thoroughly greasing the wheels with the enchanted liqueur, one of the groundskeepers overheard a dryad let slip Latrice's name. Upon further questioning, however, the nymph feigned ignorance. The groundskeeper is going to try to talk to the nymph today out in the Crimson Forest in the hopes of getting more information out of her. Safety Report We had to send a warning note to the guests in room 2001. The cosmonauts are otherwise model guests, except for their occasional reversing of gravity. It is not even that. Hotel staff don't mind guests having the occasional fun with space time, but these cosmonauts are letting their relativity leak out all over the rest of the floor. It's seeped into other guests' rooms, causing wild swings in their suite's centers of mass. Gravity has gone helter skelter, reversing direction without warning. The sudden shifts nearly injured a terracotta couple staying two rooms down the hall. Their son had fractures all the way up his left arm. Needless to say, I was horrified. The cleaning witches made short work of mopping up the leaking space time, and the cosmonauts have been issued a final warning. If they cannot contain their relativity, they will be unceremoniously removed from the hotel. We almost had a disaster last night. One of the bellboys accidentally hit the switch governing electricity for the hotel. All of the outlets became inlets. Guests were getting sucked into the electrical lines faster than a light going out. Speaking of which, all of our lamps got destroyed in the process. While not the case for any appliances, any sentient entity swallowed by the gaping inlets was returned moments later when the bellboy realized his mistake. No permanent damage was done, but I am going to file all of the guests' complaints from the mishap in a second report to save space here. Given this fiasco, I have begun seriously considering whether we should keep our electricity on tap like this. True, it was a freak accident, and none of our current guests are engaged in open rebellion, but if we had any revolutionaries staying with us, this could have been a very different story. Most are accommodating enough that getting towed into the electrical wiring isn't a problem beyond some mild discomfort. But if a renegade was pulled into the wirework, their resistance might kill them and or permanently damage the hotel. What the solution is, I'm not sure, but we need one should this happen again, while any teenagers, union workers, Frenchmen, or punk bands are staying with us. Special Event Notice 
a theater has appeared on floor 1300. One of the cleaning witches found it this morning. A set of red oaken doors with polished brass knobs. Two ivory faces, one happy, one sad, were embedded in the wood. The witches sent for me upon its discovery, and, together with several of them, I ventured inside. Tiered seats ran down to an impressive stage flanked by sculpted reliefs and balconies on either side of the proscenium. On the stage, sitting on a three-legged wooden stool, was a woman. Her figure was thin as a dueling foil. She wore a red high-low dress and an oilskin cloak, her face obscured by a golden masquerade mask. She rose as we approached and introduced herself as the producer. She had come to entertain us. The way she said it made the wood in the floor vibrate. The cleaning witch's cats all arched their backs as the producer walked forward and offered me a program for Ain't Too Proud, the musical. Inside was a detailed production budget and a calendar. On the back was a tightly, and I do mean tightly, worded contract with a dotted line at the bottom. She stood there, expectant. Well, I told her I would have to look over the details before signing anything. To this, she waved a hand in dismissal before falling through a trap door in the floor. From her exit in the floor blew a terrible wind that flung the cleaning witches and myself back out into the corridor where, upon landing on our behinds, the red oaken doors shut fast with a loud, booming note. It's been so long since we've had in-house entertainment. I will get Creature Resources to send her a copy of our thespian insurance coverage. I have also attached a dossier with her production proposal for your approval. Booking All 27 of the Incognito checked in late last night. I admit it wasn't easy to spot them. A tour bus pulled up under the portico at around 14 o'clock. Only I and the desk clerk Andre were there and dog-tired to boot. So, when 40 figures clad from head to foot in trench coats shuffled in, it took us some minutes before we could begin greeting the incognito properly. First, by efficiently searching everyone with a thick-toothed comb, then running them through several metal detectors, an MRI machine, and lastly, our resident psychic, who, I will add, was not at all enthused at being woken up so late. Eventually, we managed to find the several silk handkerchiefs, aces of spades, and signed Charlie Chaplin photographs that signaled who the real incognito were. We had to check them in under complete darkness with their rooms assigned via drop ball lottery. I don't want to say they are paranoid, per se, but any time one of them visits, it's all I can do not to ask them what all this cloak and dagger business is really for. What, or whom, are they hiding from? A villain? The police? Each other? Update on Groundskeeping groundskeepers have just informed me via message in a bottle they think they know what has happened to the missing sea turtle topiary. 
The missive was sparse and did not explain any further details other than they are negotiating something with the nymphs, but they didn't clarify any further. I am currently waiting on the tides of the moat to send a reply. Their tone sounded urgent, however. Latrice has wandered off before while on her shifts, but this is beginning to sound serious. I will forward you any news once it happens. Guest Complaints the all-seeing eye, who was staying with us while recovering from cataract surgery, summoned one of the bellboys the other day to complain of a draft in her room. As you know, elevators 1 through Pi are currently under maintenance, so the poor chap had to take the stairs all the way to floor 200,017. Upon reaching her room, the bellboy could not identify where the draft was coming from. The window in the room of the all-seeing eye is airtight, allergen-resistant, and moonlight-reflective. The chap did his best, but with no discernible cause of the draft could not help all that much. The all-seeing eye has understandably requested a transfer to another room during her recovery. She gets very dry, and her prescription eye drops do not get any refills. Doubloons keep leaking from the ceiling of room 81,012. I called the local mint, the regional coin collectors association, and a few pirates from the ship the Red Mark to take a look. They quickly determined the source of the problem. A politician was staying above the room and had illicitly snuck in several large donors to stay with him. The coin collectors were able to fix the issue by judicious application of gold leaf and silver paste to the hole in the roof. The mint representatives also helped by the swift execution of campaign finance reform on the politician and his super PAC friends. The pirates were kind enough to get rid of all of the coins that had piled up ever since the leak started. It was a relief to get all of that currency off the premises. Maintenance Guests are beginning to find their way out of Labyrinth Park, which means it is time to update the structure. Those who have escaped have already filed complaints with me, and I had to explain to them that the park, while a functional labyrinth most of the time, does wear out and become a maze after so many uses. That said, the normal maintenance we perform may be a little more difficult this season. I cannot get a hold of Daedalus. I asked the Minotaur if she had spoken with him or had any word recently. She was quiet for a second before telling me he seemed to have experienced a recent personal tragedy. She did not know the particulars, but she had already tried to get a hold of him herself for some minor improvements to the labyrinth, but did not hear anything back. I tried reaching him via seance with Icarus. I know the two like to keep in touch ever since Icarus's unfortunate flying accident. Icarus was happy to talk, but seemed completely unaware as to what may have happened with his father. No, now that I mentioned it, he and Daedalus had not spoken in some time, seances only being able to be initiated one way. I thanked Icarus and said I would try to talk to his father and see what has happened. I bid him rest in peace and closed the seance. I then tried to get a hold of Ipix, Icarus's brother. I know he and Daedalus are not as close, but hopefully with Ipix still alive, he would have had more recent news of his father. This, however, was another dead end. 
I know Ipix works for the Red Crescent doing humanitarian work, but his most recent whereabouts are uncertain. I sent out a few carrier pigeons to his last known residences, but I do not have much hope of a reply. I know you are much closer with Daedalus than I am. He only built Labyrinth Park because he owed you a favor from your days deep sea fishing together. While I know you are busy, if you'd be willing, please reach out to him, if for no other reason than to see if he is doing alright. In the meantime, I will work on putting together a list of other esoteric constructors who may be able to get our guests properly lost in the park again. Kitchen Report Rooms 28, 51, and 170 have been evacuated of all bananas and can now return to their normal usage as vegetable storage for the kitchens. In other news, they have finally done it. We've had to scramble to refile all of our paperwork, but the lobby for the advancements of non-numerical words have convinced Dizzying Fair's council to amend the official names of quantifiers. Gerard has had to reorganize all of the kitchen inventory to account for a baker's dozen now referring to 12 loaves of bread instead of 13. I also have had to change all of our records to accurately reflect the alterations to an Islamic quartet, now meaning four instead of seven players, a Taylor's gross from 1,010 seams to only 1,000, and a librarian's myriad from an endless amount of books to only 10,000. While I am all for more accurate nomenclature, it would have been nice if the council had included a transition period for the new ordinance to take effect. Instead, we've had to get everything adjusted by tomorrow morning, which is frankly ridiculous. I've been run off my feet all day trying to account for every name we've had to change. Hiring update. The bartender for the Entropy Lounge on floor 1 million quit yesterday over complaints of excessive aging. I have no one to blame but myself, really. She was the first mortal we've ever given the job to. I know you cautioned me about hiring her, saying it could only end one way, but she had the perfect credentials. She tended at the West Egg, and she knew how to prepare Ambrosia and Merovor, among others. The Glass Comedian is slated to do a show at the Entropy Lounge later on this month, and I don't know how I'm going to find a replacement for the open bar during his performances. I'll talk to Davies at the Misconstrued Tavern to see if he can lend us one of his staff for that night, but his people are good, and he knows it. On top of all of that, I still haven't found any good candidates for the assistant manager position. I have interviewed several very promising candidates, including a very experienced centaur gentleman and a Samjoko woman, as well as a kumiho with extensive work in the resort industry. None of them, however, were able to give a satisfactory answer to the most important interview questions. All of them and the rest clearly have exemplary business knowledge, but it seems their understanding of hospitality only runs as far as their MBAs. Their understanding of true comfort begins and ends with brand recognition and a slogan. I shouldn't be so harsh. Or maybe I should, but that isn't really the issue. I am fatigued with trying to keep track of everything. 
The latest camel that broke the straw's back is our desk clerk, Andre, who quit. He handed me a fortune cookie with his two-week notice inside this afternoon. I cannot say I am surprised, what with the stress of the incognito check-in late last night. So now, I need to find a replacement for one of the desk clerk positions on top of everything else. It doesn't matter. I need to get things wrapped up. I will find a good candidate sooner or later. Updates on groundskeeping. At last, we know what happened to Latrice. In the end, the news came not from the groundskeepers, but from Ferdinanda and Jacqueline. They came to my office this afternoon. When I asked what they wanted to speak to me about, they made the surprising confession that it was they who had stolen away Latrice. This naturally sent me reeling, and in my stunned silence, they explained the whole matter. As you remember, Ferdinanda and Jacqueline used to be one dryad before they were split into signified and signifier versions of themselves. At any rate, the two were walking about the grounds of the hotel, getting to know the various shrubberies and thickets and hedges who work part-time for us, when they stumbled across Latrice, who they got along with very well. Over the course of their conversation, Ferdinanda and Jacqueline explained they were locals and only staying at the hotel for a short while. They told Latrice they were from the Crimson Forest. When asked why they had not gone back, they couldn't think of an answer. It seems that in their efforts to grapple with their new binary condition, they had not thought to send word home. Latrice then plied them with questions about the Crimson Forest. She had always wanted to see it, but her life as a topiary is not a very mobile one. She'd have to be uprooted in order to move, which is a very risky endeavor. At least it would be if two woodland spirits such as Ferdinanda and Jacqueline were not willing to help her with a bit of forest magic. They very carefully dug Latrice out of the ground when the bellboys and groundskeepers were not looking. Jacqueline distracted the Satori security team, I told you we needed to replace them, while Ferdinanda snuck Latrice out of the hotel grounds. They regrouped at the edge of the forest and enchanted Latrice to be able to walk on her own. Together, the trio decided to revisit Ferdinanda and Jacqueline's old home and see their friends. You may be wondering why the groundskeepers overheard a forest nymph talking about any of this. Well, it turns out the nymphs of the Crimson Forest did not give Ferdinanda and Jacqueline a warm welcome at all. They were instead confronted by a group or forest of nymphs who ridiculed and scorned them with their altered appearances. Since their change, Ferdinanda and Jacqueline do look different than the dryad they were before, but so does everyone who becomes Byramus. The Crimson Forest nymphs jeered and mocked Ferdinanda and Jacqueline to the point of chasing them for sport. In their efforts to run away, Latrice and the duo were separated. Ferdinanda and Jacqueline were easily able to find their way out of the forest, but since then there has been no sign of Latrice. She is still out there, lost in the Crimson Forest. The groundskeepers were trying to negotiate for the nymph's help, but were rebuffed. They called Latrice and her weird dryad friends ugly, and said they did not want any part of it. To think that creatures normally so shy should carry such extreme prejudice. 
Beauty is a dryad's birthright, but I suppose such a fixation on what makes one exceptional also tends to make one less forgiving. None of that is important, however. Ferdinanda and Jacqueline have informed me Latrice's enchantment will only last a few days. If we do not find her before it wears off, she will become uprooted, and the worst might occur. While she may only be a part-time employee here at the hotel, I am sparing no manpower, woman might, or conscious determination in finding Latrice. I have mustered every bellboy, groundskeeper, and cleaning witch to search the Crimson Forest. We'll look night and day, dusk and twilight. Expedition reports to follow as I keep you abreast of the situation. Report submitted by yours respectfully, Lionel Altuary, head concierge and manager for Hotel Daydream. Hotel Daydream was voiced and written by Stephen Kausler. Our theme music was written by John Divin. Additional music in this episode was by Julius H. Cybercutie, Red Productions, William King, Sergei Quadrato, Ashot Danielen, and Dayfox. You can find the links to these artists in the show notes. Transcripts for each episode can be found on the Patreon at patreon.com forward slash hotel daydream or follow the link down in the show notes. If you have enjoyed the show, consider reserving a room with us on our Patreon. Guests at the hotel get access to all sorts of things, including shout-outs at the end of each episode. Today, the hotel would like to recognize Danny the Spoon Lord, Gus Sanchez, Maggie B, Asher Klein, and Danny Denise. Thank you for supporting the hotel. I hope you have enjoyed your stay, and thank you for listening.